0: Welcome to Terrible, a Canadian true crime podcast. I'm Marie. And I'm Renee. We're two friends that discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare ourselves for life's most terrible
1: things. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. If you guys want to check us out and support the show, you can find us on Etsy at Terrible True Crime. And the last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave us a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, let's get into some updates. So, last weekend, I went to Vancouver to visit my cousin, um, and it was really nice. She lives on the North Shore, and it's just like by the ocean, beautiful, nice restaurants. We just hung out, had good food, good coffee, nice walks. It was perfect, and the weather was Extremely beautiful. Yeah. I'm used to like an Ottawa summer where it's like hot and you're wearing like shorts and a tank top because it's so hot and like humid. And I haven't had that yet at all. Like I haven't worn a pair of shorts until this weekend that just passed. <laughs> really? Yeah, it hasn't been that warm. So like just the sunshine, the vintage clothing stores, it was just super nice. So Did you get any good finds? Yes, I definitely got a couple nice things from vintage stores. And what I loved about it is that most of the stores we went to were not expensive, like vintage clothing wise. I find that like nowadays, like that's so in that like people are like a hundred dollars for like a vintage band tee. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is makes no sense. Like <laughs> who would spend that much? And the other kind of uplifting thing about this week is I used to listen to like a ton of different kinds of podcasts. And then I kind of like stopped. I don't know why, and went like straight into like just true crime. And this week I was just like looking at my podcast and I'm like Ugh, I don't want to click on any of these like I'm just like not feeling it so I went back to like the original podcast that's you know started me listening to podcasts in general it's called the lady gang so it's like a girly girl podcast oh I was just like in the car like crying laughing it's <laughs> such a good podcast they talk about like so many good things they're hilarious so if you guys are looking for like a feel good like women's podcast um, definitely check out the lady gang they're <laughs> they're hilarious and it's just like super entertaining and just like a nice break from the yeah I think you need right. that exactly Yeah, like I don't know what I'm doing to myself sometimes, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I notice it more since doing this because it's also like I'm like researching and listening and probably like watching on TV and I'm just like, okay, I need to throw something else in there. (laughs) It's refreshing and I probably have stopped listening to them for two years. I have so many episodes to be. Oh, that's perfect. But I have something really exciting
0: to announce. I won $12 on my couch for life. (laughs)
1: I was like what are you gonna say on this podcast that you haven't like something so exciting that you haven't like texted me about well I'm really happy for you mm-hmm.
0: $12 I can buy three more tickets I haven't cashed it in yet so uh, I'm waiting for that lucky moment and uh, hopefully hopefully it works
1: is this something you've always done I feel like no, this is you. I, yeah.
0: I yeah because I'm someone who hates spending money and like the lot lottery tickets and stuff I always just felt like you're just throwing your money away. Cause like, you're never going to win like a good amount to that, like makes sense or whatever, but it's so fun when you actually get to win. So yeah. So now I guess I'll just play till I lose again and then uh, then I'll She's probably sad. stop for a bit. Yeah.
1: And then eat some more spicy pasta to try to win. <laughs> yeah. Money. And, then, and then I need to do a, a dare or bet so that I can get more money. <laughs> I've never won anything from a scratch ticket. And Matt plays the lottery. I don't even know. Is it every week? Every week there's a lottery draw. Yeah. I think and so. like every week is equally as shattered that he hasn't won. <laughs> so upset like he's like we didn't win again
0: (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like it sucks because it acts like it like the whole week you're like excited for that moment of what if you know he's planned
1: like his entire like what if he won the lottery he's like we'd buy a house here we would do this we would do that we would summer in or winter in and I'm like okay
0: (laughs) oh I love that sometimes you need that in your life though like a little little glimmer of of hope to be rich
1: oh definitely how easy life would be how's your garden doing (laughs)
0: So uh for a few days we had lots and lots of rain. Um so then that kind of like made me lazy because then I stopped watering it because I'm like, oh, it's raining. And then I after thought the same thing. Yeah, and then after a few days after the rain kind of stopped, I was like, oh, I should really go out there and like water because they're gonna die. I didn't. And <laughs> I waited a few too many days, so some are dying, but uh, I watered them yesterday, so hopefully they'll come back to life. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I should never have done a garden.
1: I'm way too lazy for that. Uh, So not great? Not great. But nothing is like dead, dead yet. I don't think so. I think two might be dead, dead,
0: but we'll see. We'll see if I can revive them. I'm a really good indoor plant mom. I have to say, though, that I can do. Is it like
1: all succulents that you have inside? No, Renee,
0: don't do me like that. (laughs)
1: You I about- do have a lot of plants like I think we have a lot of plants you guys have a lot of plants I'm obsessed
0: but <laughs> I literally don't I had I have
1: maybe like two
0: succulents and I have literally <laughs> like 20 plants good okay <laughs> Actually, but I did kill a cactus the other day because I really didn't water it for months. You know what?
1: Like, I feel like cactus as an easy plant is a myth because I've literally never been able to keep a cactus alive. Ever. I've killed like several cactus. Like
0: I do have one cactus alive that I've had for over three years. That is
1: a lot of time. Because I got it when we first moved into our rental. That's probably like around three years ago. Do you name your plants? (laughs) No. Some should I name their plants? So, no, I'm not saying you should. Maybe it's a weird thing. We should ask it in the polls on the Instas. But you some know, people what? name their plants. Something else about my plants.
0: The one you got me, the the fiddle, fiddle leaf fig fiddle tree. tree. I'm so sad because it's not growing. Like
1: you need to plant it in a larger I did. pot. I did. Okay,
0: well, then I have no idea. So I'm really upset with that. I want it to be <laughs> huge like yours.
1: Yeah, we have this ginormous. It's literally feature. the size of a giraffe. Like it's no going joke. to outgrow our entire household <laughs> and like go through the roof. And it's yeah, we bought it and we're like, oh, cute little tree, and then we just like watched it go like do doo do and like grow like. Wait, you bought it small. Yes, uh, it's literally won't stop growing.
0: Yeah. It's, do you it, do it you small. give it
1: vitamins and stuff? I don't know. I don't do the plant stuff.
0: Oh. I, mean, <laughs> maybe. I need. He's like. I need. No, I need no. Matt's number. I need to text him and tell me how to grow my fiddle.
1: <laughs> like feeding it steroids. <laughs> <laughs> he loves that thing. He was actually just like spraying the leaves and like tying it tighter oh. around. It's like post earlier today. I was like, "Okay, hey, do you need some time?" <laughs> okay, maybe I need to care for mine a bit more. <laughs> Okay, before we go into some current crime updates, I just wanted to throw in a correction. So, I mean, we knew this was going to happen. We just started a podcast. We're brand new to this world, and I'm brand new to the world of research and all that stuff. So, we got an email about episode 14 when we covered the... Butterbox Babies case. And we used an article that incorrectly named the three women that we quoted, so three survivors. Um, so we just want to fix that. And we want to mention, or I want to mention mostly, that I am now on purpose, before we receive this email, making sure that if I am stating something, it's mentioned in more than one source. Um, and also that if it is not mentioned in more than one source that I am letting you guys know that I'm not sure if this is accurate information. So the survivors names are Sandy Tuckerman. There's also Riva Saya and Eileen Steinhauer. I actually mixed those two names or the article did or whatever when I was reading out the quotes. So those were mistakes and I mean we're glad, we always say we're glad to get kind of some corrections if we say something wrong. Um so this uh, email actually came directly from Riva Saya, who is now Riva Barnett. So thank you for correcting us. And we will make sure to try to put like an edit in those episodes um, so that everyone knows that we said it incorrectly, but that we are aware of it. So thank you. All right. So this week in current crime updates, we finally have, I guess, somewhat of an update on the Frank Young case. So just to remind everyone, uh, Frank Young was a five year old boy who disappeared, um, and he was last seen in his home community of Red Earth Cree Nation on April 19th. So last time we talked about him, I said that there was no new updates and it had been a while, right? That was April. We're now the end of June. And I finally found an article that said that they had been doing extensive land searches, which made me feel happier because I was very concerned that everyone had kind of just forgotten about this disappearance. Um, so they were searching the community and surrounding areas, but he hasn't been seen since, unfortunately. But following the spring thaw, volunteers and locals have continued to search. Focusing on the Carrot River in particular, I'm not sure exactly why, but they must have some reason to be focusing on this river. The river originates in Waka Lake and flows northeast through Red Earth Plains into Saskatchewan River near the Pasman. Frank Young's family, friends, and community are really hoping to find, you know, some some clue of where he could be, and we hope that they get those answers soon. The second crime news that I have is a couple of episodes ago we discussed Tara Niptanatiak, who's a 35-year-old woman who was discovered in a residential waste container in Calgary on February 25th. We talked about this, how it was weird, how the autopsy determined that her death was like quote-unquote not suspicious and yeah. how being found in like basically what's described as like a garbage bin, how is that not suspicious? Mm-hmm. But there's an update in the case, which I'm also happy about because, again, I was one of those ones where I was like, this is probably going to go nowhere and no one's going to get any answers. So the autopsy did determine that her death is not suspicious, but the police said that the circumstances surrounding how she ended up, you know, in the container remain under investigation, which I'm hoping translate to like, is suspicious, you know, like, no <laughs> yeah. one just like ends up in a race container. So the update is that investigators went over hundreds of hours of CCTV footage and they believe that Tara didn't enter the alley on her own and that she was placed there using a vehicle or by another mean. There was nothing definitive on the CCTV footage, but investigators are working hard to determine who she was with and where she was before her body was discovered. So again, just happy that they're working on this case, they're looking over footage, and they're obviously saying that she didn't like walk herself down this alley and then like, crawl into a garbage can and die, like that's not yeah. obviously what happened. is case, fish case is deemed suspicious. Um And yeah, just to recap, we'll probably post a picture of her on our social media, but um, at the time of her death she had short dark hair, she was wearing dark clothing with a North Face winter jacket, and had a red sleeping bag in her possession. Before her death she was known to frequent area shelters. The sources for this week's case is an article from the truecrimefiles.com, a crime beat episode called Who Killed Kelly Cook? season 2 episode 1, a global news article by Nancy Hicks, an article from Drumheller Mail by Pat Kolafa. there's also the RCMP website and several articles that I found on newspapers.com, one from the Edmonton Journal, another one from the Calgary Herald by Roy Collins, another Calgary Herald article by Gordon Lee, and finally an article from the Leader Post. Our case this week starts in Standard, Alberta. Standard is a town about 70 kilometers northeast of Calgary. It is a small farming town, and at the time of this case, the town had a population of about 500 people. so small. (laughs) I know. We are discussing the Cook family. They lived in Standard, but were originally from Montreal. This family consisted of mom and dad, and then two girls and one boy. In 1981, the eldest girl is 15 years old, and her name is Kelly. So let me tell you a bit about Kelly. She is described as an old soul she liked to be around adults and discuss social justice issues she was good at school she was very smart and she wanted to become a lawyer she had recently started working as a babysitter which is obviously you know she's ambitious like was just described and she's wanting to work and make her own money my first job was also babysitting and i did it a lot for you know all the families in the neighborhood did you babysit at all
0: um so I did not a lot because well first of all I'm terrified of being home alone especially <laughs> as a kid so I couldn't even babysit myself kind of thing because if someone rang the doorbell I would ball my eyes out and go hide because I thought someone was yeah literally yeah
1: not like <laughs>
0: I know even if it was my like once it was my neighbors couldn't see them and I was like oh my god like yeah so that's that's me um so So you've come a long way i've come a long way um yeah so once or twice maybe (laughs)
1: all right i baby thought uh, a lot like almost like i'd say every weekend or every two weekends um when I was younger around the age that Kelly was and I think that's why this case really stood out to me I first heard it on the crime beat podcast like years ago and um it's actually my cousin Nikki who I was in Vancouver with who recommended I listen to this episode of the podcast okay. so I thought it was like fitting that I just saw her that I'd cover this case that she recommended I listened to so on April 22nd of 1981 it's a Wednesday morning around 8 30 a.m and Kelly is getting ready for school this is when she gets a call and i wrote on the home phone i just <laughs> found it funny that i had to specify which like obviously in 1981 it was it was clearly a home phone
0: which you know what's like funny <laughs> Talking about home phones, I still know my like childhood home phone number.
1: No, I don't know the original one. I know the like more recent one because it's still like in the family. Like it just got converted to a cell phone. Oh my God, that's (laughs) so funny. (laughs) So she picks up this phone call, but no one's on the other line. So weird. She hangs up but then the phone rings again and she picks it up and she hears a man on the other end. He introduces himself to Kelly as Bill Christensen. He tells Kelly that he would like to hire her to watch his kids. Kelly, I'm I'm assuming that she's kind of half on the phone and she's checking with her mom. He's wanting Kelly to watch his kids for that night. So she kind of checks in with her mom and the last name Christensen actually sounds kind of familiar. It's a very small town as we just said, so you know, mom kind of agrees, but it's probably a little bit hesitant since she doesn't really know who this is. But the man on the other line says, you know, great, I'll pick you up tonight after dinner. When they're done the conversation, Kelly's mom asks her to ask around about this man when she gets to school the next day, again, very small town. (laughs) This wouldn't uh, work pretty much anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Other than a 500 person town, but when Kelly gets to school, she asks around and nobody really says, oh yeah, that Bill Christensen guy, but everyone kind of says like, oh yeah, the Okay. Again, it's a common name in the area. So Kelly goes to school for the day and when she comes home, she tells her mom that everything's fine and she still wants to go to work and be a babysitter. Around 8.30 PM that evening, a car that is described as a full-sized North American car shows up to pick up Kelly. I thought eight thirty was really late for a weeknight to be babysitting. Even on the weekend to
0: start around that time, I feel like that's very strange.
1: Yes, yeah, like I feel like when I did it, it was always like a five p.m. or like a six p.m. So like it could go like as late as midnight, which if like if people were yeah. going on a date night or something. But yeah, it's a little strange. So as Bill Christiansen shows up. Kelly's mom waits for the man to get out of his car and walk up to the front door. But Kelly kind of tells her mom, like, mom, like, it's fine. No one does that anymore. Like, you know, like, <laughs> mom, stop.
0: <laughs> I love how it's like, no one does that anymore. It's like, what? 1980s.
1: <laughs> yeah. And she's like, no one comes out of the doors anymore. Like, it's cool. We already talked like, and, oh and she heads out the door for her babysitting job. Kelly's sister Marnie watched from the window as her sister got into the car and left. Kelly was supposed to call home once she got to Bill's house. But unfortunately, that call never came. While waiting to hear from Kelly, I'm sure her parents began to worry. After some time, they start to call around. I'm assuming they're calling friends, family members, anyone who they think might be helpful in the situation. Just after midnight, Kelly's parents call the RCMP. She should have been dropped back off at this point. Her babysitting job should have been over. It seems like the RCMP takes the call very seriously. Kelly's father went out with the RCMP that very night searching for her. In the following days, a larger search would begin. Helicopters came in, volunteers joined and searched farms and any outdoor buildings. Remember, this is a very rural area in Alberta and they really needed kind of, you know, all the all the troops to come out and search every square inch of the town. Vehicles were also stopped and searched and people were questioned. Unfortunately, months go by and nothing. Kelly is missing. It's mentioned in the Crime Beat episode that psychics even came into this case. One of them said that Kelly was tied to a tree and that wild animals were eating her. Just like a very weird Mm -hmm. thing to say, but I know we were really kind of interested in the psychic thing, so I thought that I'd throw that in there. I looked into trying to find cases that were solved by psychics, like Canadian cases specifically. Nothing really came up for me, so if anyone knows of a case (laughs) that was solved by a psychic, please let me know because we'd be really into that. Investigators finally get a clue from a phone operator. He had gotten a call the same night that Kelly went missing. The operator gets this call and on the other end hears a girl screaming then the phone goes silent and hangs up the operator then saw kelly's case in the news and remembered that strange call that came from a payphone in hooser a town about 20 minutes from standard so he let investigators know this seemed like a good clue at first but it kind of goes nowhere Another break in the case comes when an eyewitness is able to describe this Bill Christensen. Before the night that Kelly went missing, the owner of a local gas station had a man ask him if he could use the phone. He should have been using the outdoor payphone but he said that he was having issues with it. So the owner kind of reluctantly agreed because I guess some people had come in before and died long distance so it had cost him. So he agreed but kind of stayed close to the man to to, you know look over his Mm -hmm. shoulder probably to see like what number he was dialing While doing this and probably continuing to work He overheard the man who was on the phone talking about babysitting So obviously when the case came out he called investigators The owner said that the man looked like a farmer He had dark hair and a fair to dark complexion He was maybe in his 40s, clean shaved, and 190 pounds. He also could have been 5 foot tall and 9 to 10 inches. After this description, a sketch was made. So this is a very, like, very extremely vague sketch. Like, this could look like so many people. Um, But it is interesting, it's basically the only sketch that they had to go on at this point, or the only, you know, any kind of visual evidence Mm -hmm. that they had to go on at this point. On June 28th of 1981, a man named Jerry Nelson is riding his motorcycle with some friends. This is when he sees a body on the shore of Chin Lake, an irrigation canal south of Tabor. This is about a two and a half hour drive from Standard. The body is face down and fully clothed. It had been bound with ropes and weighed down with cinder blocks. There was a lot of effort made to hide this body, and there was also a lot of decomposition, so no one could really tell who it was. The bikers, I'm sure, in total shock, flagged down someone on a boat and asked them to phone the police. Police arrive ASAP, and they send the body to Calgary, where it's positively identified as Kelly Cook. They did this by using dental records. Gotta love those dental records. I'm gonna start this new thing where I go, I don't know if this is truth or rumor, basically because I've only seen it in one source. So not sure if this is truth or rumor, but the autopsy revealed that there was no signs of sexual assault. Another thing that was only mentioned once is that Kelly died from asphyxiation, and that was her cause of death. Apparently it wasn't widely reported, and it's not anywhere in the RCMP case file, so again.
0: Truth or rumor.
1: On July 3rd, Kelly's family held her funeral and they buried her body in a cemetery just north of the town site. Kelly's father, Walter Cook, requested that donations be made to the rape crisis center in lieu of flowers.
0: He said, We don't know that Kelly had been raped, but had she come home, we would have been dealing with the rape crisis center in Calgary.
1: I just feel like this is a really nice thing for the family to do. And also just for like a dad to mm-hmm. just stand up and say that, you know, is pretty amazing. So it tells you what kind of people the Cooks were or are. So the family had the funeral and many people showed up, friends, family, people from the community, and Kelly's entire class. Investigators then aired a reenactment of the crime on TV and showed a map of the possible routes that a killer could have taken. Later, investigators find out that on July 2nd at 7.30 PM, an unknown male went to the Garden Chapel funeral home and insisted on viewing Kelly's body. That's disgusting. He obviously had no, like, Identification or connection, like obvious connection to Kelly. So he was thankfully turned down by attendance. So is this just like a regular weirdo or is this mm. more? It's just sketch. Like, I, it's weird. It's not appropriate. <laughs> no, it's really unsettling. Very, yeah, extremely unsettling. And I'm sure that Kelly's friends and family are very thankful that he didn't kind of scheme his way in there.
0: Imagine the person working there and hearing that question
1: uh You're no just sir like, so who are you to yeah. the deceased no one okay then absolutely not uh like- the murderer oh no you can't see her <laughs> dumb investigators focus is obviously to track down this bill Christensen. as i mentioned there was a composite drawing but we talked about this in previous cases sometimes having a very generic composite sketch like this creates people to start pointing fingers at anyone who might you know resemble this sketch even a little bit so they got over two thousand leads from this sketch which is so many leads doubt his name is actually bill christensen no definitely not
0: <laughs> like unless he's really freaking dumb and no. actually use his real name
1: I mean, he definitely was gutsy, like how do you in your own car drive all the way up to the house and pick someone up and abduct them? Uh, anyway, we're going to get into it, so I'll stop myself there. The RCMP feel like this was a well-operated plan. Obviously someone had targeted Kelly, and like I said, took a huge risk abducting her. Question.
0: Yes? I'm wondering how he got her phone number, like did mm-hmm. she hang flyer? Are we going to get there? Okay. Yeah. Carry now. on.
1: During their investigation, the RCMP find out that Bill Christensen had actually called another babysitter in town. On April 18th, four days before he called Kelly, he called a 17-year-old girl who was well known for her babysitting services in the area. He told her that him and his wife were looking for a babysitter. The girl was busy, so she said, I'm sorry I can't that night, but let me recommend you to other girls in the area that also babysit. Oh my god so she gave the 17 year old girl gave kelly's contact information as well as another girl this girl is interviewed in the crime beat episode her identity is masked and oh you just feel the guilt like she to this day is like that could have been me Mm -hmm. and like she feels the responsibility for having for providing her name and phone number (laughs) yes Yes. uh, Yes. like
0: obviously it's not on no. her but I understand the guilt she could
1: feel Oh my god! Um, yeah, it's horrible yeah it's like still very much gets her to this day and like oh you just hear it in her voice and she was just putting like this like weird like twist of faith impossible situation mm-hmm. and now she has to live with that like that's so awful on April 23rd the 17 year old girl who was originally called was sitting in class and heard the announcement that Kelly Cook was missing I'm sure immediately she was panicking. She knew she had to tell someone about the phone call. She talked to the principal and she told them that she had given this Bill Christensen Kelly's name and phone number. So I think at this point it's, it's really hard to know if he had a specific target and if it was the 17 year old girl or if he just wanted a young girl and was happy either way. Like I said the 17 year old girl I think she had also been featured in the local newspaper lately. So her picture might have been there. He might have seen her. He And, you know, she, her contact information was out there as a good babysitter. So maybe he thought, you know, this 17-year-old is the one that I'm going to abduct and, and so on. But then when the opportunity kind of flipped to Kelly, he took it.
0: I feel like he didn't really care who because I feel like if he really wanted it to be her, then he would have just waited till she was available yeah. to babys- babysit.
1: Kelly's father said about the 17 year old girl the following. It's not the girl's fault. If
0: Kelly hadn't been able to babysit, she'd say phone so and so. Kelly is a victim of circumstances.
1: In that same article, Kelly's father mentioned that she was looking forward to her 16th
0: birthday. This year was going to be special because she's going to be 16. She wants her driver's license and we were going to send her to driving school. This was going to be as a birthday
1: gift for Kelly. At this point, police have little to go on. As I mentioned, they questioned and cleared over 2,000 suspects at the time, and they had expended roughly 25,000 man hours on the investigation. Another clue came when investigators discovered a partial license plate number. The Calgary RCMP were attempting to run down a portion of a number of a car whose driver they want to question. They were however at the time reluctant to discuss what significance there may be to the new angle, and that's kind of all the information we get about a license plate. So, again, this is a small town. So for this to have happened, for this man to have had knowledge of the name Christensen, everyone is thinking that he must be familiar with the area. It doesn't really feel like it's just a stranger who came through town and did this. It feels like it was a planned crime. It also feels to me like there's no way this was his first. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like there's so much thought that went into this that I wonder if this murderer has ever committed. Yeah, because I feel like that was almost too easy. Like a lot of things you hear, like when you listen to like the serial killer podcast and mm-hmm. all that, is that eventually they just get like it just gets like it's like oh well, just another, another one. Another day, like, yeah. Like yeah, like they just get so numb to it that they stop being extremely careful, which often leads them to being caught. But like it, it just becomes yeah, you're no longer like extremely paranoid about someone seeing your license plate or whatever. You just think you're going to get away with it. Yeah. The following quote is regarding the RCMP's investigation to any local man. Corporal Craig Green told the press,
0: There is no doubt the suspect found either lived in the area or frequented it. He knew what Kelly looked like and what her name was. He also knew the town layout and some of the neighbors. This baffles me though, for if Bill was from Standard or the surrounding area, how could he be so sure that Kelly's parents wouldn't recognize him or his vehicle when he picked her up? And why did no one ever identify him for the suspect sketch that was distributed shortly after the crime? If Bill was from the area, his decision to abduct and murder a girl so close to home sure was brazen.
1: Investigators are able to get in touch with FBI agents at Quantico. The FBI creates a profile of the man who abducted and murdered Kelly. They say that the man is probably not married, but most likely has been more than once. They think that his marriages have ended badly. Yeah, no doubt. Sorry, Renee. <laughs> Scumbag. <laughs> uh, yeah, I freaking hope so. Like, imagine. Mm. Oh, but, I mean, it happens all the time. Well, not all. I shouldn't say all the time. But, like, some of these serial killers are, like, married. And, like, their partners have, like, no idea. Yeah.
0: Which is met so mess up. Oh,
1: but anyway, they're saying that this man has probably been in a couple of different marriages that have not ended up badly. There was probably some abuse in the marriages. So you know they're thinking he's known by law enforcement for you know domestic violence or those types of calls but that's all they say and i'm like i know that like profiles are usually vague but like you're the fbi feel,
0: give, like, me give me more
1: give me like yeah, yeah this description is so vague like mm. it's like thanks but also i <laughs> This is so off topic, but I watched a
0: show. I can't remember what it's called, but it was all about a profiler and his dad's a serial
1: killer. Yes, the prodigal son. I love that show. Oh my God, so good. It is, like, so cheesy, though. Are yeah, you fine? Like, you're just <laughs> yeah. like, come on. Like, obviously that was going to happen, but it's so good. But also, like, it got canceled, and I need to start up again. So everyone go watch it on Netflix because I need it. Yes.
0: yes, we need, need another season. It, it sure. ends like you need another season.
1: Yes, it ends on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm.
0: So anyways, oh. when I think of a profiler, that's what I think of. Someone who's like legit and like really
1: goes and just knows it right off the bat. Yeah, I think that's like the issue too is we think profiling is like criminal minds and like we're like usually it's like it's like kind of like a series of like vague like not guesses but like constructive guesses. But yeah, that's all they really say or all that I was able to find. No charges have ever been laid in the Kelly Cook case. Kelly's case remains unsolved. Renee. Oh, he was gonna get this is, he, is he probably dead now? So, Earl oh. Peters, who is a retired RCMP officer and worked on the case, is kind of holding out for a deathbed confession. Oh, let's get that. Deathbed confession. But, like, I'm also, like, I get that, but also, like, if, if I was a murderer, this is a hypothetical, obviously, <laughs> if I was a murderer, disclaimer, and I got away with it, why would I, like... Because, you know, you know how
0: they are. Trophy. You Not want all of them. Yeah, like, all of them. Yeah, but it's like I'm dying. But look what I was look what I was able to get away with.
1: But what if you have like a family and children and grandchildren, and whatever? Then you're, you're dying like...
0: anyways. You <laughs> clearly yeah, but you're going to be yeah, like but... your
1: grandpa's a murderer.
0: Like, yeah, but you clearly don't have a heart to begin with, so like you don't really care about your family. Yeah,
1: I don't. We're trying to rationalize something that makes no sense. But yeah, yes, true. I get the idea of deathbed confession. Do I feel like it happens often? No. I hope it never happens though, because I hope he's already dead. So they have um, some old evidence, I guess, still in the case, and they're holding out for DNA analysis. From what I was able to read, but the issue is that like once you test a piece of clothing or whatever for DNA, like you can't retest it constantly. Mm. So they have to be careful in what they do. Like the case is very much still open. Um, I think there's someone like assigned to the cold case, but really, there's there hasn't been much that's new. The perpetrator would, they're guessing, be in his 70s or 80s now. So there's a good chance that he is still alive. Not happy with that. Kelly's sister, Marnie, said the following. It's just what we've had to learn to live with. There's no
0: acceptance in it. There's no closure, if you want to use that word. If it all changed tomorrow and we had all the answers, I don't know if any of us are prepared for that. Justice makes that individual accountable, but it doesn't bring her home. It doesn't change it. I think the public doesn't know any more or any less than we do. I think what we know is what is out there. I know that it is still very much in the limelight and the RCMPs still look at it and it is very much part of their day. But the individuals that are responsible for her case are also responsible for current major crimes as well. So you want their resources to go to the right places. I certainly wouldn't want them to focus on our case when there is so much other bad going on in the world right now. Oh my God. That's I know. amazing. I show shivers. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. River Marnie. Stops.
1: If you have any information about the Kelly Cook case, please contact the K Division of the RCMP, Serious Crimes Branch, South Airdrie at 403 420 4900 or Crime Stoppers at 1 800 222 8477.
0: Okay, thanks, Renee. So, how am I feeling? Well, the thing is, <laughs> is that um, my kids one day. <laughs> Will hate me because I will never be able to let them do anything. Like, I swear, everyone's probably babysitting their childhood, like everyone. But sorry, my kids ain't babysitting unless it's one of my friend's kids. They're
1: going to be calling me be like, hey, my mom. (laughs) Yeah, you need to help me. It's crazy. This is your fault. But also, since
0: they'll be like half of me, they'll probably have my anxiety. So they (laughs) might not even want to. (laughs) So, but anyways, that's how I'm feeling.
1: I know this is a tough case and like it just feels like so relatable and Mm -hmm. scary Really so nuts that there's no answers in any of it And like it really feels like the investigators did everything they could at the time And are still like Marnie said You know there's still someone assigned to this case And people are still looking at it every day It's just it's hard to believe that there's no answers And it's just so mysterious and strange Mm -hmm. Like no one could have seen this coming like a small town of 500 people
0: yeah like why it's just weird it's like weird. wouldn't it when you think about it wouldn't it be easier to get away with a murder in a large town or a oh, large sure. city like why are
1: you going to pinpoint that small town to me this has to be someone who once lived there but mm. doesn't live there anymore and like lived there yeah. long enough that like long ago enough that no one Is able to obviously recognize them Yeah But they know enough about the town And the people in it I was talking to Matt about this case And he kind of suggested Or I had the idea that there's often a lot of campsites in rural Alberta in these small towns. We thought that maybe it was someone who had lived there previously and was like staying at a campsite or kind of one of these like drifter people, but like still like I get that, but there there has been a point in, in this person's life that they lived in Standard or the town next to it. Yeah. We're really hoping that the Kelly Cook case eventually gets solved and you know, we're keeping. Her and her family's inner thoughts this week. And yeah, if anyone has any information, it's been years, but call grandpa. Deathbed confession.
0: If your grandpa for it. if your grandpa could confesses to you,
1: uh, let us know. If your grandpa is sketch, bring <laughs> him in. <laughs> for our donation this week, we tried to look for the Calgary Rape Crisis Center, but we couldn't find it. Uh, we think it's now become what we're donating to this week. Um, but if anyone knows about the Calgary Rape Crisis Center, send us a link and we will also donate to them.
0: So this week we'll be donating to Calgary communities against sexual abuse. This is from their website. Calgary communities against sexual abuse is the primary sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and sexual assault crisis counseling and education service provider for Calgary and the surrounding areas. If you'd like to contribute to CCASA, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. As always, pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram. So please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for joining
1: us and see you next time.